Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Last Wednesday night we began a journey and uh, I want to continue that journey this evening. We're teaching a series just entitled The Beauty of Holiness because I believe it is a beautiful thing. Our text this evening is from 1 Timothy chapter 2 and begin reading at verse number 8. The Bible says from the, the writings of the Apostle Paul, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without, wrath, without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Amen. I want to talk about the beauty of holiness this evening. And I said this last Wednesday night in the opening of this series, that if there was ever a day that a church ought to be rallying behind a pulpit that is making a clarion call for a difference, it ought to be today. Amen. We don't have to wonder if somebody's just on a tangent, but we ought to be able to look outside our world and say, thank God, amen, that somebody is warming their hands over the essential truths, the central truths of the word of God. Amen. God bless you and you can be seated. I believe that God desires for his people to display the spirit of holiness not only inwardly, but there should be a display outwardly. The Apostle Paul exhorted both men and women to approach God in holiness. So I mentioned in our opening, uh, in our opening message on this series last Wednesday night that we're not talking about holiness from the vantage point that this is something that only applies to one gender. But I believe that holiness applies to every man, woman, boy, and girl. Our, the, every child of God. Amen. So Paul is exhorting men and women to approach God in holiness. And he mentions specific problems with each gender of his day. And so he is addressing some things. And so Paul was shrewd enough, wise enough to know that a person's dress is a mirror of their mind. You can tell a lot about a person just by making an observation. And so to be modest uh, just simply means to be decent or chaste or proper or perhaps unpretentious. If we could scoop all of that together under one heading, perhaps we could just say to be modest is to be pure. And so I want to stress again tonight that I, I don't, do not believe that outward holiness applies to just one demographic or one gender. I believe that both men and women are affected by the principles that we're going to be discussing this evening. I believe that holiness in dress has got to be accompanied. It must be connected to 
an attitude of holiness. Because I have seen, and many of you have seen, holiness and dress that is not associated with an attitude of holiness. And when you have that combination, you can have a very pharisaical, uh, a very holier-than-thou, self-righteous spirits are born when the heart of a person is not right. And so that's why holiness must begin in the heart. It must begin in the heart. Because in the absence of that balance, we'll find ourselves leaning too far to one side. If not, I believe that there will be a circumventing of the message. I believe the message loses its purity. And it loses perhaps the most important part, and that is the beauty of holiness. The book of 1 Peter chapter 3 in verse number one, the Bible says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may be without the word, be won by the conversation. And that is not talking about talk, but that's talking about lifestyle. The word conversation means lifestyle. By the lifestyle of their wives, while they behold your chaste conversation, while while an unsaved husband, this is what Simon Peter is talking about, just as an illustration, while an unsaved husband would behold your chaste lifestyle coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be with the outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair and the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel. And so we have now the Apostle Paul and Simon Peter that did not oppose and they do not oppose the simple braiding of the hair or arranging of the hair but what they are addressing is the culture of their day. So if many women in their day arrange their hair in a very lavish and extravagant manner or fashion, they would often braid their hair with strands of pearls or braid their hair with silk cords or even have at times gold coins attached. And many wore ornamental crowns or ornamental headdresses. Therefore, I don't think that we should take the, the, the scriptures that I've read to you and say, that this means we shouldn't wear anything in our hair. Paul and, and Paul and Simon Peter are talking about things that are, are extravagant. And, uh, and so I believe that most of what we will discuss in all of the studies and most of all that should be the center point or the centerpiece when you're discussing or even studying in personal study about lifestyles of holiness and separation I believe that it all boils down to moderation and motive. Amen. I I know we're taking a whole lot and we're trying to push that into a central thought. But I really believe that if we could take everything and boil it down to that, that if we could understand the value of moderation and the value of motive. So when we take Simon Peter's advice and we look at holy women in the Old Testament, We find women should not wear clothing that pertains to a man, but we also find that men should not wear attire that pertains to a woman. Deuteronomy 22 and 5, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination to the Lord thy God. And so I want to read tonight a little bit from just some Bible commentaries, commentaries that I trust and study from. Uh, one of these, or this I'm about to share with you is from Kill and Leach. And uh, the, it says this, The immediate design of this prohibition 
was not to oppose idolatrous practices, but to maintain the sanctity of the distinction of the sexes, which was established by the creation of man and woman. And so when we think about that, that, that uh, was not necessarily the prohibition of the practices, but it was to maintain the sanctity of the distinction of the sexes. And I believe that we're certainly living in an hour. We all live long enough. If you're breathing here tonight, you sure look like you are. If you're here tonight, we've lived long enough to understand the value of identifying the, the importance of the distinction of the sexes. You may live in a, under a rock, I'm not sure, but if you're not living under a rock, we're in a fight for this. There are families with children today that are facing some unbelievable evil forces and there is an agenda that is no longer in the shadows agenda that's no longer in the back room there's an agenda on main street and it's not just in san francisco it's not just in chicago amen we've got people in our church that are involved in our school systems and they're not here to berate and tear down the systems but these agendas are being promoted even in our communities, our local communities. So please don't think that I'm just preaching to the wind or that I'm speaking about something that's happening somewhere else because we're living in a society that is working overtime. There is a segment of our society, let me put it that way, a segment of our society that wants to erase all the lines, all the lines. Amen. So I believe that there is a biblical and a spiritual significance to dress. The Bible does speak on the subject of adornment and dress, and so if we're to apply its teaching properly in our day, then we have to understand that there are some underlying reasoning. Why is God concerned about the way we dress? And, and why is it important for Christians to maintain holiness in an outward appearance? Why are those things still important in 2022? I think the, the answer to that very simply is this, that that. Our dress is a reflection of what we truly are on the inside. Amen. And so an, another Zondervan Pictorial Bible Dictionary says, The clothing worn by the Hebrew people of biblical times was graceful, modest, and exceedingly significant. They were considered so much a part of those who wore them that they, that they not only told who and what they were, but they were intended as external symbols of an individual's innermost feelings and deepest desires and his or her moral urge to represent God aright. Now think about that. Amen. So when we leave the house, when we leave the, our home, so to speak, in the morning, we are a walking billboard for people to lead, to people to be able to look to and to read and to find hope and find direction. I don't think we should leave home with a look at me attitude or look at me spirit or none of the above because, again, it needs to be in modesty and moderation. There needs to be a humility about that. But our, I believe that dress is an important statement to God. It signifies our attitude about lifestyle and it signifies our attitude about choice of identity. Amen. There is an, an element of our church here tonight that would be old enough to remember uh, the, the hippie days, if I can refer to it as that, and uh, where, um, you know, for 
perhaps the first time, at least in our culture, that men began to have long hair. And, uh, and there was, I'm not trying to be funny or cute, but there was, uh, there, there were times that you could not tell, perhaps, if you were looking at somebody from behind, if they were a man or a woman. Amen. I need some of you that are not ashamed of being alive that long ago to say amen. <laughs> there needs to be a distinction. People ought to be able to tell. We're living in a day today where sometimes you can't tell. You may be seated. It's still the truth. You can't tell. And so some say the outward appearance is irrelevant because they quote 1 Samuel 16 and 7. And they say, man looketh on the inward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. I understand that. That scripture, but that scripture says a whole and means a whole lot more than that. However, I believe that our dress reveals to other people our commitment and, and our beliefs. It reveals something about the covenant we have. And so I believe altogether even more since a man does, does look on the outward appearance and man can't see the heart, it's important for us there to be a display of godliness on the inward on the inside it should be a reflection of what's on the inside not merely just something hanging on the outside it ought to be a real reflection of what's on the inside does that make sense can I say that again amen what people see on the outside shouldn't just be garments hanging on, on a crusty skeleton it ought to be a real reflection of the true tenderness and the 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 uh Humility that's on the inside. People everywhere use dress to identify themselves with certain beliefs or certain lifestyles. We can we could give many examples. I mentioned a moment ago the hippie movement. It wasn't hard to um, wasn't hard to identify, and I'm not saying that in a disparaging way at all. But it wasn't hard to identify people in the hippie movement because of their hairstyle and because of their dress that you, you could tell it was there was an identity that was associated with that the use of uniforms by many organizations and um, our law enforcement they have uniforms that separate them and just they're distinctly who they are and even different branches of our law enforcement and so you, you never confuse a, a local policeman with a Florida Highway Patrol there is a distinction in uniform, and, and there is something that identifies them for who they are. There is a distinction among our military, and, and it, it identifies who they are. You, you will not mistake in dress uniform, you will not mistake a Marine for somebody that's in the Army or somebody in the Army for somebody that's in the Navy because there is, there is a distinction among those organizations. Business attire and clothing of certain ethnic groups and, and, uh, and uh, you know, just certain things that we could say that, that are associated with dress, completely associated with dress. Uh, Brother uh, Jeff Arnold, many, many years ago, uh, gave this personal testimony of, of when he first was employed with Florida uh, Power and Light. He was a forklift operator. And so as a forklift operator, he could wear jeans and boots and wear a flannel shirt. And uh, that, was, that was okay because he was driving a forklift in the warehouse. But they offered him a promotion. But with that promotion came an expectation that his wardrobe would change. Because we're moving you to a different place. And, 
And uh, there, there's nothing wrong with your boots and there's nothing wrong with your jeans and there's nothing wrong with your flannel shirts, but, you know, not practically at the bottom line, but there's something wrong with it in this position because we're bringing you somewhere else. And so that is going to mandate, that's going to require of you to be different. And I'm sure that's his personal testimony, but there are many here that have been promoted on your jobs, and I'm sure that you could have a similar testimony. The Bible contains a number of examples that illustrates the problems that we discuss. And so when we think about Adam and Eve, and they became aware of their nakedness in Genesis 3 and 7. The Bible says that they sought to cover their nakedness, and they did so with fig leaves. Originally, God created their body with glory and beauty. There was no need for false modesty between the husband and the wife because they were one flesh. But when they sinned, God gave them a sense of shame. Amen. That's the first time you read about shame. That's the first time you see the word shame in the scripture was when they sinned. And, and, and God gave them a sense of shame so they would cover their bodies. And so the covering that they made of fig leaves was inadequate. According to Genesis 3.21, God had them cover themselves with garments that were made of animal skins. And so there was a difference. You can't, they were, I believe that as far as what the eye could see, and I'm not trying to give picture examples here, but I believe as far as what the eye could see, the fig leaves covered up what should have been covered up. So this wasn't about covering. This was about what the Lord said, what your efforts are inadequate. Amen. So from that time forward, immodest exposure of the body has often resulted in sin. In fact, uh, according to Le Leviticus 18, if you read the first portion of that passage of Scripture, we read the phrase, uh, the terminology or the phrase to uncover nakedness. And that's an Old Testament expression that is, is used for immoral acts. So when David saw Bathsheba bathing according in 2 Samuel 11, when David saw Bathsheba bathing, he yielded to the temptation to commit adultery because he saw her nakedness. Everybody all right? Amen. Satan delights. It is his pleasure, it is his goodwill to cause immodest exposure of the body. And so when you go anywhere today, you don't, have to, you, you don't have to go any specific place to find immodest dress. You can find that anywhere. And um, I don't mean this in a self-righteous way. If we just took God out of the equation, I'm just appalled at how some people just leave home. And I am amazed at how some young ladies and young men are allowed to dress. I'm just wondering, is there not a parent at home? Is there not a gatekeeper somewhere? Amen. And so Satan delights in that. And, and the demons of the, uh, of the maniac of Gadara caused him, the Bible says, to tear off his clothes. And, and he was naked. He was full of the devil. But when Jesus cast the demons out of that man, there's a lot of people here that don't know exactly where I'm going. The Bible says that he was two things, clothed and in his right mind. And so there is a spirit behind, please believe me, there is a spirit behind this agenda. This is not just about a style or a lifestyle. There is a spirit behind that. And that's why the church needs to be wise enough to understand that. 
God compared Babylon's downfall to a woman's shame in having her nakedness exposed. In Isaiah 47, I want to read verses 1, 2, and 3. Isaiah 47, 1, the Bible says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover thy locks. Make bare thy leg. Uncover the thigh. Pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and will not meet thee as a man. And so we're, what, what we're talking about here is when Babylon fell, the Lord said, I'm going to compare your downfall to the shame of nakedness or the shame that should be associated with nakedness. And the same is true for men because the Lord in the book of Exodus chapter 20 and verse 26 spoke to the priest and he said, when you're going up the steps, he said, neither shall thou go up the steps into mine altar that thy nakedness be discovered thereon. And there's something to be said about being modestly covered Amen. And so without exception, I believe that that's something that we need to consider, the value of covering the beauty of what God has given us because we are created in his image. Hallelujah. The Bible associates the use of, I want to talk just a little bit here about makeup and things of that nature, but the Bible associates the use of that with wicked women. The Bible talks about the heathen Queen Jezebel that tried to seduce Jehu so that he would not execute her. So she used makeup and ornamentation. Second Kings 9 and 30, the Bible says when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it and she painted her face and tired. That's what the King James Version uses the word tired. That means attired. Attired her head and looked out at a window. And so uh, that was the, the lure. That was the bait that she used. Solomon warned young men to avoid immoral women that would use the, the painted eyelids as such to seduce in Proverbs 6 and 27. The Bible says, Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. Amen. I'm just in the book tonight. And so God compared his unfaithful people to an adulteress who adorned herself for her lovers that luring and so Job said that he would make a, a covenant with what? He said, I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes that I will not behold. I will not look on a young maiden. I, won't, I want to make a covenant with my eyes. I've, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, uh, every old barn needs a little paint. Well, I'm, we're not talking about barns. And I didn't marry a barn. And you didn't marry a barn. That, that's a foolish, that is a foolish comeback. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about chosen vessels of God. We're talking about living an honorable life. And we're talking to men and women. Praise the Lord. The Bible frequently talks about and associates jewelry with a proud attitude, an immoral lifestyle, or pagan worship. And so when, when Jacob went back to Bethel to renew his relationship with God, the Bible says in Genesis 35 that, uh, that he disposed of all the idols and all the earrings that belonged to his family. And the Israelites did what with that? They melted them down. Amen. They melted them down and they made a golden calf to worship. And so after Moses interceded for them, God spared their lives, but he announced that he would not go with them to Canaan. Then according to Exodus 33, 
The scripture says that God ordered them to take off these badges of vanity and pride and lust as a sign of humility and repentance and consecration. He said you need to remove these things that represent vanity and represent pride and represent lust and you need to remove them and, and you need to reach for the spirit of humility and repentance and consecration. And so they gave that all to God to be melted down and used in the construction of the, of the tabernacle. You can find that in Exodus 35. And so we need to think about this. Where did they get that to begin with? Where did this even come from? It came from Egypt. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, am I in the book, Brother Williams? When the children of Israel were in Egypt, the Bible commanded them that they should take with them those things and bring them out. But God meant for them to take that from that Egyptian gold and silver and use it for his, for his service, right. not just for personal ornamentation. He was, God wanted him, them to use that for his sake. The adulterous woman in Jeremiah 4 and 30 used extravagant clothing and ornaments of gold to attract her lovers. The adulterous woman in Ezekiel 23 and 40 also allured lovers by ornaments. And, her, and many of her lovers gave her bracelets and crowns. And God warned that all of her jewels were going to be stripped away in judgment in, in uh, Ezekiel 23. But all of those things were used just as bait, just as lures. Again, in the book of Hosea, chapter 2 and verse 13, God likened his unfaithful people to an adulterous woman. He said in Hosea 2 and 13, he said, and she decked herself or bedecked herself with earrings and jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. Amen. So this, if we compare that, those, that illustration, if I could just freeze that frame, keep that in this column right here, all right? Amen. She decked herself with all these things and went after her lovers and forgot about me. So if we put that in one column and then we, if we contrast that against the spirit of Esther, what a great and tremendous example. The Bible talks about that when a woman was brought before a, a, a king in Persia, she was allowed, she was given the absolute right and access to anything she desired in an effort to beautify herself. And so as, as I, I know far out of bounds as all this sounds in, uh, in, in our modern day, but these women were coming to, to bring themselves before the king to be chosen or selected uh, to be a, a part of his uh, harem, if you please. They were given access to anything they wanted to beautify themselves, to make themselves as beautiful as they possibly could so that they would be chosen. However, Esther desired and requested nothing but only used what the king's unit, uh, the, the person that was in charge of her, selected. And the Bible records that the only thing she used was oil of myrrh and perfume. So think about that. Amen. The other purifications to beautify the skin. And so here is Esther that is saying, you know, here's what I want in order to be to make myself beautiful for the king. I don't know what others were doing, but we can only imagine what they may have been doing if they had access to anything. But he but she said this is enough and there was an inward beauty. There is an and I believe there is an inward beauty. I've said this before, and I hope to not be taken out of context by saying it again, but my wife has been involved for many, many years in, in the ladies' ministry of our district, and because of that, 
I've been to my fair share and, and, uh, and your shares of ladies' conferences. But one of the most striking things about me through the years has just been the overall beauty. Amen. Of people that just present themselves before the Lord. And I appreciate, our, 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 I appreciate that very much. You know, um, no, no one here is living in a vacuum, I feel sure. But uh, it's not uncommon for little videos to pop up from time to time on Facebook and things of that nature. And I've seen more of these lately than I have in the past. But it may be someone that, you know, they start out one way, this is what you see, and then they just begin to take off everything. Or in reverse, you know, you see someone kind of, it's kind of a Leah and Rachel situation, right? <laughs> and uh, you see someone that starts out rather on, the, on, on the, this side of the spectrum, I'm go not going to choose any words here because I don't want to be beat up in the parking lot. But, um, and, and then all of a sudden, they just transform into something completely different here. But you see, this over here, that's what you're really married. That's what you're really holding hands with. I'd like to know that up front. Amen? Well, I slid out in the weeds there on you, didn't I? Sorry. <laughs> I believe that there should be a distinction in dress. I believe our, our attire must, must be ex associated exclusively with our gender. I, I think to providing an unmistakable visual identification at first impression. I mentioned that a moment ago. That first, The power of that first impression. Somebody should be able to, to see that. I believe that men should not wear uh, attire that is distinctively female I'm saying I believe I believe the Bible teaches this I don't want you to think that it's just something that I believe the word of God and the word of God teaches that and so in our western culture that means dresses and skirts on our ladies and and and, and women should not wear attire that are distinctively male and again in our western culture the slacks and things of that nature but different cultures have different types of clothing and so we have to bear that in mind. So if clothing is modest and that there is a clear differentiation between males and females, I believe that the precise style of clothing in particular to a particular culture is, is not important. There's an underlying thread that, that runs, a common thread that runs through all of this. So, for example, it may be proper for a Scotsman to wear a kilt at a ceremonial occasion. That may be that may be acceptable, and that and and that may be exactly proper, but it would be improper. We don't want any of the men here coming in here wearing a kilt. We're not prepared for that. <laughs> Amen. Our the retinas of our eyes <laughs> are not prepared to see legs that haven't seen the light of day in decades. <laughs> Amen. So it would be improper. Uh, for an American male to wear that. But culturally, you understand that cultural difference there. And so we think about modesty. So to be decent or to be chaste in proper dress, specifically avoiding immodest exposure of the body before someone of the opposite sex. So what is considered immodest? In answering the questions, I think that we have to consider a few things. I believe that we have to consider biblical context I think we have to understand the purpose behind modesty. I think we have to understand our culture. And then I think we have to understand our motives. So if we take 1 Timothy 2 and 9 seriously, which was our text, then we have to agree that some clothing is immodest, just plain and simple. It's just immodest. 
And those articles of clothing, which are just one step away from nudity, have got to be considered immodest. Otherwise, no clothing would be immodest. The basic reason for modesty in dress, I believe, is to subdue the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And so we have to be very careful. We have, a, we have a, a mandate upon our lives. In addition, we need to avoid clothing that's revealing in any fashion. I believe that's clothing for men or clothing for women. It, either way, uh, it, it, that would make no difference. Clothing on men or women can be too tight, too thin, too revealing. It, on and on, the list could go. Because our heart must be right. Our motives must be right. So conduct, gestures, body language. And our speech, that must be modest, not just what we wear. I'm talking about what we wear, but I want you to understand there's more to it than that. I believe that our conduct has got to be pure and holy and modest. Our gestures have got to be pure and holy and modest. Our body language has got to be pure, holy, and modest. Our speech needs to be pure, holy, and modest. Amen. And I can appreciate, um, you know, the. I can appreciate the fact that we can be modest in what we present and how we present ourselves. And so if a person wants to, a person can act seductively even if they are wearing the most modest. You can have on a turtleneck and a long sleeves and, <laughs> and a garment dragging the ground. But if you want to, there can be a seductiveness in your eyes in your body language, in your gestures, in your, your, the tone of your voice. And so if we've got all of this on the outside just like it ought to be, every box is checked, but we don't have our heart checked. We can send a message with our voice. We can send a message with, just with a wink, with a smile, with a nod. And we have upended, we have unraveled everything. So no degree of external modesty could ever cover up an immodest or a lustful spirit. Amen. It, would ne it will never happen. You can have on a Spider-Man outfit. And it's, maybe that would be immodest, I guess. Now that I think, don't do that. <laughs> we could be covered from how I was just thinking about nothing you could see but the eyes, but... Very bad illustration. <laughs> I didn't think that out all the way. <clears throat> you could be covered up from stem to stern. But none of that is going to cover up an immodest spirit or a lustful spirit. And so uh, as a part of our Christian stewardship of the body, then I believe that we should seek to present ourselves as best we can, as best we can. So so when does when do things become extravagant? And... When are things excessively ornamental or when are things unreasonably expensive? I think the answer to that is not anything we could put in concrete to many degrees because they vary somewhat depending on the culture, the society, the station of life, and the occasion. So here are some questions that we should consider in making this evaluation. What is my motive? If, you've, if I've been your pastor for very long at all, you've heard me talk about this. We've got to get right here. What is my motive? 
What am I trying? What am I trying to accomplish? Do I wear this out of pride? Do I wear this for show? Do I? Am I just trying to be noticed, or am I? Am I trying to provoke envy? Do I want to to make somebody else feel less fortunate or less blessed? Is that my motive? If so, that's wrong. Wrong. It's so wrong. And so, is this wise? Another question that we need to ask is this: wise stewardship on my part. So, so how does the time I'm investing in this or how does the money that I spend for these things, how does that compare to what I give to the Lord? Amen. So, you know, somebody that, that's really into certain things, I don't want to mention any certain things, but somebody that's into certain things, you know, um, whatever hobbies may be, they would think nothing. You take somebody that's a, a real, real uh, gifted woodworker, they would, they, would, they would spend more money on drill bits than you would even consider. Right. You wouldn't even think about that. Router and router bits, you wouldn't even go there. But it's their passion, and so they understand, and so they think nothing about that. But then you said, you know, we, we want to receive a, an offering for missions. Oh, I don't know. Because wherever your treasure is, there's your heart. There's your heart. And so we have to ask ourselves, is, is this wide stewardship? I remember this statement. I'm not saying that I abide by this. I just remember an elder many years ago. His father was a missionary. Their family was deeply connected to missions. So I get their passion for missions was probably on a different plane than others. But you remember he, he uh, uh, Bishop Upton said, I vowed many years ago that I would never make a car payment that was more per month than I was willing to give to missions. Amen. I'm, I'm not saying that's the path that I walk. I'm not suggesting that's a path you should walk. But I'm just saying I'm thankful for people that have that kind of conscious, spiritual consciousness to challenge us. Amen. I think another question we should ask is how do others view this? How does this make other people feel? Do they see it as flaunting wealth or... Do they see this as me being showy or a manifestation of pride or am I trying to become an object of envy? I would never want to walk away from somebody and, and because of whatever I have, they feel like they're less than a person. Or that, Amen? I would never want my wife and I to walk away from talking to a couple and 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 her to look at him and think, what am I doing wrong? Or him to look at her and think, what am I doing wrong? That would be the wrong motive. So as with other things, I believe that, that we should ask ourselves, what is the motivation? Is it what or what what's what's going on? What's the big picture here? Amen. I, I believe that there are things that that signify certain stations of life. And you've heard me teach about this before. I, you know, a class ring signifies a certain station in life, but then you move on. You don't stay in school forever, right? Amen. Promise rings have the same principle that are associated to them, but, but there comes a time that you move on to another station of life. An engagement ring, that means something. It signifies something, but, but that is, again, one occasion or a station in life. 
and then a wedding band, the same thing. They all, they all represent certain stations in life. And so whatever your convictions may or may not be, I'm just sharing with you tonight some principles, some things that, should, uh, that we should use as guideposts and guidelines in our own life. But like anything else, I believe that we should guard our heart and that we should, under, that we should guard our heart and that we should always check our motive. Why? Why? Modesty and moderation should be our heart's desire. And I believe that the power of the Holy Ghost should be the guiding force. Amen. And so we can take things that are even would be okay and we can make them wrong. Amen. You can make Thanksgiving dinner wrong because the Bible talks about gluttony and things of that nature. And so if you want to, without the proper spirit of moderation and modesty and, and without the proper spirit of balance, you can make anything a sin. You can make drinking Pepsi-Cola a sin, Diet Coke. I'm trying not to say coffee. You can make drinking coffee a sin. If we take it out of context. You, so I hope we're, we've sat around tonight and we just sat around the dinner table. And we've talked about some principles of the word of God. These things are important. They're very important. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to my opening remarks. They're very important. And if you don't think they are, look outside. Look outside. There is an agenda in our world. Look outside. And so we ought to pray for pulpits across America. Amen. I was listening. Um, I will just ask our musicians to stay where you can just stay at your seats tonight. But uh, I'll say this in closing. But I was, I was um, actually just had a, a video that popped up on my Facebook feed. Um, maybe two or three weeks ago, and um, a very well-known pastor in our nation that does not really ascribe to our doctrine at all. But he is certainly associated with and knows what we preach and believe. And in his church on a Sunday morning, just in recent, in recent times, not, not more than the middle of December, he was preaching and he said, you know, I remember when Bible standards were preached in this church. And we need to get back. I remember when this and this and this and this was preached in our church. And he said, we've slipped too far away from our moorings. And it was a clarion call of a man that said, we've got to get back. And so today, tonight, what I'm trying to do is prevent ever having to get in this pulpit and repeat those words. Amen. I'm trying to avoid having to ever come back here and saying we've just slid too far away. Let's get back to our roots. Let's get back to where we have been. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. I feel a sweet spirit of the Lord. Amen. I feel a sweet spirit of the Lord tonight. Amen. I wonder just across this building if we could lift our hands and we could just love the Lord. Amen. God, we magnify you tonight and we thank you for your word. I'm asking you, God, to help our motives to be right. And 
our spirit to be pure and our hearts to be honest. And Oh Lord, I'm asking you to help us to guard our heart and our minds that, that we would be mindful, Lord, of others and that we would not sin against you. I pray that the presence of the Holy Ghost would just minister in our heart and in our lives and that you would strengthen us today, God. We really want to be more like you. We want to be more like you. We want to be more like you. Oh, Lord, I'm asking you this evening to touch us and to strengthen us and to help us to be what you have called us to be, to let the power of the Holy Ghost minister in our minds and our hearts and our lives. Oh, I praise you this day. 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 Amen. Amen. What we're talking about tonight should never, absolutely never, be used as a battering ram to destroy others. Or it should not ever become a black robe of judgment for us to judge other people. That is not our job. Amen. It is to present the gospel. And we want everybody everywhere to feel comfortable and confident and welcome in the walls and the confines of this local church. And we want to love and teach his word. But we don't want to just teach it with, uh, by way of lecturer or student. But we want to have examples. Amen. People that are living. And so I will Amen. promise to say this in close. That I've said to the Lord many times. I've said it here publicly as well. But I say it often to the Lord. I'm thank you. I thank you for the teachers, the literal physical teachers in my life that have opened the book, whether they were Sunday school teachers, youth directors, whatever they may have been, and that just taught me the word of the Lord, and they broke down the principles of God's word, somewhat what we're doing here tonight. But I'm also thankful for the teachers that lived it, the examples. I'm glad that when class was over, I had somebody to look to. I'm glad that when the lights were turned out, there was, there was people, I was surrounded by people. We're not in this alone. I've got somebody to help me along the way. If you stumble and fall, hear, hear me tonight. Get up. Amen. If you stumble and fall, you've, you have fallen in a safe place. And we want to help get back up and let's march on. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the word of the Lord. We thank you for the privilege you've given. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386 935 2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website again thank you for listening and we pray god's richest blessings on you and your family